So, Bob, I asked the listeners to submit short questions for you and I to answer. What do you say we answer them right now? Yep, let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Karkanda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor, and now I guess I can call myself a, a professional podcaster. Who are you, Bob? I am your friend Bob from graduate school, a therapist in practice here in Seattle. And hey, you know what? Huh. I got a note in the mail. Like somebody swung by my office and dropped in... A note in my mailbox. You have a stalker. Oh, friendly, friendly traveler. I don't know. (laughs) It was anonymous, and it was um, very sweet, and the person um, suggested that I read a poem called, I think it's called The Birches by Robert Frost, which I did read, and um, it was really lovely. Ah. So thank you to whoever. Robert Frost was in my fraternity. That's the, the, the my the fraternity I was in. It's a very small fraternity. It's like not a lot of colleges have it, and um, so we don't have a lot of famous people. But Robert Frost is wow. The the other unfortunate famous person is um, Woods. What's his name? The actor James Woods. James Woods. Yeah, I think he's <laughs> I think he's a little bit of an unfortunate character. But anyway. <laughs> Question here, what has been the defining moment of your therapy career, Bob? The the defining moment of my therapy career. The defining moment. I'll go first and you okay. can think about it. Yeah. For me, it was getting fired from my first internship. Uh-huh. And then the dean of my university convincing me to try again. I was fired completely unfairly. And you can yes. read about the whole thing. In my book that I wrote on supervision, the first chapter is starts with that. Yep. I think my first line is, I was fired from my first internship. It is. And I dissect essentially just how awful the supervision was. And I confronted the supervisor 25 years later at a conference, and he basically said that the whole agency was chaotic and toxic at the time and so he, he he wasn't surprised that bad things happened but um but yeah i was accused of doing things that i never did yeah. I, I was literally eight weeks into my internship uh-huh. and he had already probably decided he wanted to fire me within like maybe four weeks yeah so he had met me four times, you know, four hours of supervision and decided he was going to get rid of me for reasons that I could only speculate. And, you know, imagine you're 25 and you don't really feel, most interns feel complete, um, if not all, imposter syndrome. And mm-hmm. then your supervisor, who you look up to, says, and presumably the rest of the agency said, you are so terrible as a human being, because the accusations were that, and as a clinician, that you're done. Get out. No, they never said you're doing this, stop doing You know, they never said, uh, like, again, just people know I've said this before, but the one accusation that I really remember that stuck out, because he gave me this letter, and it was like a full page of all these allegations. And one of them was accusing me of having an an unethical approach to people who have addictions. And uh, 
the you know since I only had eight supervision meetings, I could absolutely remember the conversation we had, and I still remember it to this day. And again, I'm an intern at this point; I know nothing about anything, and I knew I knew nothing about anything. And so he asked me, almost kind of like a quiz in a supervision meeting, what would you do if you had a client that was addicted to alcohol? And I said, well, I don't know what I would do because uh, I'm an intern and this is my first few weeks. But uh, what I understand you're supposed to do is you're supposed to refer them to, um, you know, to get sober to AA or some chemical dependency treatment program. And then after they achieve sobriety, then they can come into therapy. But I said, for me, I, I don't know if I would be that rigid about it with every single client, um, which is literally the policy I still have today and many other therapists have. Yep. Well, what he said, and, and he heard me and had no feedback at the time and was like, oh, okay. And then proceeded to catalog this secretly without telling me that I was completely unethical in my approach to uh, people who have addictions. That was, that was just one of the accusations. So that was like obviously a setup to find things. I mean, who does that in supervision? Tell me what you're going to do. And then I like, uh, how about this? He's like, okay, no response, no feedback. Obviously, just looking for some reason to get rid of me. Again, I can only speculate as to why they wanted to get rid of me, and I don't want to even get into that. But... Um, so, no, but this is me looking back. At the time, I thought, I'm a loser. I've spent thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on this degree. I've invested so much of my heart in this profession. I really want to be a therapist. I, I don't feel like I deserve to be here. Mm. I am now being fired not only by my supervisor but presumably by his higher ups you know and i remember i was driving my white honda flatback hatchback civic and i'm driving to or no wait maybe it was the was, acura yeah it was my acura integra <laughs> sorry nice car a different white at honda based car yeah and i'm driving a sunny day it was a summer and i'm driving um, to the university just in a daze, just thinking, well, I guess I gave it a shot, uh, and I guess that's it. I'm not going to be a therapist wow. because obviously I'm not suited. Obviously I'm not made for this. Obviously there's something deeply wrong with me because I was giving it my all, and I got completely blindsided with being fired. Again, I just want to emphasize again, no one told me I was doing anything wrong. Not a single person said, stop doing that, or your attitude is wrong, or anything. Right like, here, we need to help you. Let's, yeah. Let's help you learn something. That's what an internship is. And again, I also want to emphasize, it was it might have even been like seven weeks, because in the beginning of my inter internship, I had this one supervisor, and then he he left. Who And I really liked him. And he was the one I interviewed with, the one I, and he had a lot of experience. He knew his stuff. And then... Like midway through my my first quarter, I I got um, given to this guy who I learned later when I confronted him that I was his very first supervisee. Oh right! And he would have been just a little bit older than me, Not actually. Much. I yeah. remember him. Yeah, and he, um, I believe, without getting into the details, 
just decided early on based on identity that he just did not like me yeah. and he was going to get rid of me. Yeah. And there was just nothing I could do to make up for it. And he asked me a lot of intrusive questions, very, very personal questions that I thought I had to answer because I was the supervisee and I thought we were building a trusting relationship. Turns out from the beginning, he was trying to get rid of me and he was asking me personal questions to get rid of me too, which is extreme, massive violation. So I'm driving away and I'm just driving to the university in a daze across town. I get to the university, I walk into the university and and I'm kind of wandering the halls, mostly just looking for Paul because he was my mentor at the time sort of or he was my advisor anyway but then paul's boss the dean was there i walk into his office and i just sit down and just tell him everything that happened and he's and he's like well these things happen sometimes so that that helped just like it wasn't the first and he said and from the sound of it and reading this letter and from your description and the fact that you're only like a few weeks into your internship i don't really understand what is happening here, but um, I Tony Collis was his name. Yeah, Tony. And but I uh, recommend that you get another internship and you and you try again. And I'm guessing everything will be fine, given what you're saying and given how what I know about you. But if you get fired from your second internship, then yeah, I might rethink this whole thing. <laughs> But the fact that he said that, the fact that he said, look, it's not a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. It's not that big of a deal. Get another internship, and I'm sure everything will work out. And it did, and it it has. But imagine if he hadn't said that. Imagine if he had said something else. Imagine if no one was there at the university when I just wandered in. Imagine if... No one was there, and then the next couple of days, I'm. I just say, "Yeah, I'm done." Like I think about it for a few days, and I just, I just withdraw from the university. Where would I be today? So that is the defining moment of my therapy career, Bob. What's yours? Well, uh, there's a couple that come to mind. When I got out of college, I read a book called Love's Executioner by a fellow called Irvin Yalom, who I just who's love. been on this podcast. Yeah, that's right. You got Irv. And I wrote him a letter, and I said, I really like this book. Where should I go to grad school? And he actually wrote me back. And he suggested two schools in San Francisco. And I moved to Seattle. I was living in Pennsylvania then, and then I moved to Seattle and was going to live here for a year and then get into – I thought I was going to be a child psychologist, so I was going to get into child psychology. Did I apply for a child psychology program? Maybe I'd change my mind by then. Anyways – I applied to these two schools in San Francisco and didn't get into either. Was Seabrook one of them? No, no, no. That that's not a school. Uh, the Wright Institute. Okay. W R I G H T. Or not Seabrook. Saybrook. Saybrook. <laughs> anyway, no, I didn't apply to Saybrook. Uh, California School of Professional Psychology. Okay. And then the Wright Institute, which I really wanted to go to. Why didn't you get in? Do you think? I flubbed my interviews. Oh. No confidence. Just. Really, really anxious. Didn't present well. Because I look good on paper. So, you know. Actually, that's what the lady said. She called me up. She's like, your scores are good. Your grades are good. You wrote a nice essay. What happened at your interview? 
Really? Yeah, that's what she said. What do you mean? Like, what do you think you did at the interview? Oh, I know what I did. What'd you did? I got irritated and I swore. Oh, I didn't God. swear at the guy. I didn't swear, but I was clear. To, it was clear to me um, in talking to him that he hadn't read my essays. He didn't read anything about me. Yeah. He was just, and I found that annoying because he was asking me the same questions he asked in the essay, and I. I um, <laughs> got a little judgmental and thought that he should have read this stuff and I don't want to answer this twice. And I certainly can't answer it the same way as what I wrote, which is really what I did. That's and, interesting. I mean, because, you know, as someone who's interviewed a lot of people, yeah. one, I don't remember their essays all the time and I might have been interviewing a dozen people that day. Yeah. And two, if I do read it, I usually skim them. Yeah. And three, sometimes I... I, I'll, I'll, say, I'll read them later. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I'll interview them now. I'll read them later. It was me having a tough moment, right? What, what was tough about it? Well, I got anxious. Yeah. And then when I get anxious, I swear. Uh-huh. Like I just drop F-bombs and S-bombs. And, um, but I, I mean, were you swearing like, you know, F this? I already asked this. Are you no, 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 no. I didn't swear at him. I didn't attack him. I just talk in a kind of a gritty Philadelphia way. Uh. So... um uh, I did not get in and not getting in turns out to be a really good thing because I stayed here an extra year. I lived with my brother that both those two years, the first two years I lived in Seattle was with Danny and that was a really good time. Really, really good time. And then, um, let's see, I got laid off from my job. All right. Yeah. And that was when I decided to go to graduate school. And your job was as a bachelor's level Case or, manager. Order or case manager. Yeah. Yeah, case manager down uh, uh down in Renton. And for um, people with serious mental illness. Yeah. And your supervisors told you this is a good thing because you need to become a therapist. No. Oh. I thought someone told you that they mm. were doing you a favor. No. No, they were doing me a favor, but they weren't thinking about me at all. They were thinking about themselves and their bottom line. Yeah. And um, what happened to your clients? Were they just shoved onto another case manager? Uh, yeah. yeah. And I was demoted to case aid. The agency went through this major shift. We had eight case managers on my team, and they um, told us that we were going to have only three, and we had to interview for our job. And um, those of us who didn't get a job would be offered a job as a case aid if we wanted it, which was like a serious reduction in pay. Like minimum wage. A little bit better, but not much. What agency was this? It doesn't exist anymore. It was Northwest Mental Health. Okay. Yeah. So I got, I needed a job, so I got demoted. Um, I didn't get, I didn't get hired as a case manager. That turns out to be a good thing. I got demoted. That turns out to be a good thing because they found that doing the same thing for less money just made me angry. <laughs> and so I also had the option of going on unemployment, which was awesome because I had a great summer. I hung out with my nephews and um, just did projects around my house and um, and then got serious about graduate school. And my interview was with Tony Collis. Oh. And he said to me, why are you applying here? I'm like, I don't know, because it's school. And he's like, well, look. If it were me, what I would do is I'd go get a PhD and I'd get someone else to pay for it because you have good grades, good test scores, the whole thing. So you can just get into like a mainstream psych program, like clinical psych program like at UW or someplace like that, right? That's quite a statement that I'm not sure is as easy as he was saying. I don't know. It's actually extremely difficult to get into the PhD program at at, at UW. Very competitive. And it's not really, and it's not even a clinical program back then. 
it's a, a psychology program, and you it's can a be, rats. It's a experiment on rats program. Well, that's a little, but yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a it's research based, research based, and, and not clinical based. Not much. So no. I'm surprised that he would. Well, could, he wasn't saying you'd uh, particularly. It was just like a school like that. But like the Seattle area doesn't have any schools. Oh, he wasn't saying stay in Seattle. He was just like you should get into, a, um, get a get a teaching or a RA, you know. And not have a school. But day. you were interviewing because you wanted to be a therapist. Yeah. But why would Tony say that? That's just so weird to me. Well, it's probably what Tony did. But it's bad advice because mm-hmm. you wanted to be a counselor. Yeah. And Antioch and, you know, PLU and SPU, the, the few other programs Seattle, in the Seattle yeah. area, yeah. were exactly the kinds of programs you should be going to. Mm-hmm. And going to. Uh, uh, getting a doctorate for no reason that's bad advice yeah well i didn't take it so that was that was good <laughs> well it's funny because at my interview i was with paul uh-huh. and he spent half the interview telling me that i was going to earn a lot less money he kept he kept saying over and over he's like you realize that once you graduate you're going to be earning extremely low pay because i was coming in as a already established business guy in right. in market research, right. f- you know, f- for a twenty four year old, whatever mm-hmm. that is, yeah, right. But he had this perception that I was, you know, making money, and and I wasn't actually making that much money. I was in the very low end of market research project manager, but but he spent half the interview telling me, uh, you realize that you're going to be earning less money after you graduate than you're earning now. And maybe never earn as much money as you're earning now, even though I that wasn't the case at all. Yeah. But it's just funny. Like, I wonder if they all got together and said, let's try to... Let's discourage them. Yeah. <laughs> it's such an interesting way of... Interesting model, huh? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll do that when I'm interviewing someone. I'll, I'll say, like, are you sure this is what you're looking for? Because we want a good match. Yeah. You know, we're not looking for... No. We're not looking to trick people into coming to the program. But you and I were exactly the right in the right place coming to Antioch. In fact, you could argue there wasn't any better school to go to because all the other schools are religious, you know. And so we're looking oh, for it. They are. They are. All of them. That's I never noticed that. Yeah. Pacific Lutheran University. Okay. Seattle Pacific is. Well, you could call it evangelical, I suppose. Yeah, it's something, right? Well, because they still make the professors sign a thing saying that gay people are wrong, essentially, or uh-huh. that they're against gay marriage or something. Uh-huh. A university in Seattle yeah. that's Christian, uh-huh. and they teach therapists. Yeah. <laughs> and and this is the... the yeah. And they're, uh, they're officially against gay people. Uh, another school, the Seattle, Seattle. School, is... I th- I think Christian evangelical as well. Seattle University, you mean? No, no. This is the, it's called the Seattle School. Or I can't remember. I never heard of that one. Yeah, it's Seattle School Theology and Psychology or something, and and it has a pretty big program. Wow. I mean, Antioch I think uh, has more students than all the other of them combined. Yeah. And then you have yeah you have Seattle U, which yeah. is with his Jesu- Jesuit. Jesuit. They're they're way more liberal than. The other ones, but still, it's yeah. it's Jesuit. Yeah. But you could go to Seattle U and not really yeah. encounter much of the religiosity. Yeah. You go to SPU, Seattle Pacific, you'll definitely run into it. PLU, you also, you know, Lutheran, you're not going to get a lot of 
evangelical kind of BS in yeah. it. So I'm guessing that PLU, you're not going to experience much of that. But anyway, it's just kind of funny that mm-hmm. like we're the only. Anyway, I'm just kind of surprised that people, <laughs> they're really like discouraging us to go. Um, so you went. Yeah. And that's your defining moment. It's one of them. Yeah. 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 Uh, another person here. I just listened to an episode where Bob let us know that it's hard for him to be in touch with what he wants. Yes. And we learned that Dr. Kirk was craving a bagel. <laughs> Bob, what do you feel like eating right now? Oh, right now. They ask. Oh, boy. Let's see. It's kind of a warm day. It's early. It's lunchtime right now. Well, you know what? A bowl of raisin bran sounds really good. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, we have seen Dr. Kirk's bookshelf tour. I did a video. Oh, uh, if you're, oh right on. Bookshelf tour. What are Bob's nerdy hobbies and interests? Oh. Um, you're, you're not nerdy. No? I guess, no. No. Are you? I don't know. How do you, you don't know? play video games. No, I don't do that. You're Too not into buttons. Star Wars. No. You don't no. play Dozens and Dragons. I, I don't do that either. No. Yeah, so I, unless Those you can come n- up with something that's nerdy. Nerdy? Well. But maybe like the general nerd label of what are you into. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a writer. Uh, I should restate. I'm taking a writing class. That's probably a more accurate way to put it. And um, due to peer pressure, I'm actually writing. That's good. Um, what else do I do? There's something else I'm up to. What is it? Uh, yard work? No. I mean, I, yeah, sometimes, but no. Drinking coffee? Well, no. Making Colleen's life as good as I can. That's probably a nerd holiday or hobby. You like to have parties and... I do like that. Watch movies with friends and... Yeah, pop culture. That's kind of a thing. Pay, play cards. We played cards oh, the other day. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't played gin in... I don't even know how many years. Yeah. Yeah. And you bought a, a trailer thing that you used a couple times, right? The camping trailer thing? Yeah. Yeah, you know, we sold it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we used that far too few times to justify buying it. That was... You like well, to uh, you, you like to go to your cabin The sometime. cabin place, yeah, down there by the beach. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, I have an announcement. I got you a shirt. Hey, I got a shirt. Wow. Take care of yourself because you deserve it. Yeah. Wow. Thank so you. wear it in health, and uh, all y'all listening out there, if you haven't gotten any merch, you can go to our merch site at Teespring Psychology in Seattle, and uh, you can get various different merch. No, you don't. You don't have to put it on. Okay. Now if you, but yeah, anonymous listener, she says, "I have a difficult relationship with my dad." This mm-hmm. is about Father's Day. It's we're a little late. Right. He thinks of himself as a loving and great dad. Yeah. By his standards, he did a great job. Mm. He provided for our family and put me through college, mm. but he is also very distant. He would disappear for hours at, every night in his study or in front of the TV and still does when I come to visit. Mm. He can also be controlling. He is extremely dismissive or critical of me if he disagrees with us in, in our way of thinking. Mm. As a kid, I remember thinking that I knew that he loved me but I felt like the love was trapped on the inside of him. Mm. As an adult, I often just feel mad at him, like I've been cheated out of a relationship with a real dad. 
Father's Day feels tricky because I do love my dad, yeah. and I know he did his best, but I just don't feel all the sappy sentiments that are on the Father's Day cards. Mm-hmm. Bob, what do you think? Um, there's not a question here. There's um, 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 an expression of ambivalence and some dissatisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. Can you relate at all? Oh, yeah. When you had your father when he was around and the Father's Day would come up and the sappy kinds of things, did were you ambivalent about it? Yes. How so? Well, similar to what the person wrote here is I have a kind of a complicated relationship with my dad. Um, um, and there was a contract, um, an unspoken contract that we would ignore his behavior. And um, while that's compelling, that's a mistake. But back when I didn't know myself well enough to um, hold a limit without being angry. So I had two speeds. One is passive and one is, you know, angry and throwing elbows. Um, but I think there probably would have been better ways to to um, relate to him more authentically. Um, but the, I'm not saying that they would have made us closer. They would not have made us closer. Um, but I think they probably would have made it more satisfying for me to... Um, relate with him to 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 um uh speak with him talk with him did you feel like outside of society when father's day would come around and everyone would be getting cards for their dads and that kind of thing what do you mean did i feel well because this anonymous listener i'm guessing is experiencing like okay it's father's day you're supposed to get a father's day card right and you might even have your your spouse gets a Father's Day card for their dad. Right. And they seem completely aligned with right. the sentiment in the card and all mm-hmm. the sappy things or the Facebook posts or whatever. And for them, it's like, well, I love my dad. I mean, it's not like I've, I've, we're, I've ostracized him or something. But I definitely don't feel like these cards match my feelings towards him, you know. I feel like he did a good enough job, but I mean, yeah. I've had to grieve my entire life at the fact that he was so distant right. and critical of me. And I love him as a family member, but I uh, I don't feel right giving a card that says you're the number one dad on the planet because I've, I've never felt that way. In right. fact, I've barely felt like you were a dad at all, really. Right. Did you feel that? Yeah, I did feel that. And I think I'd choose those cards carefully. Sometimes I'd I'd choose a blank card and then just write whatever I wanted to write in it mm. that fit uh, with whatever whatever it was. But it's been so long since I've done that that I actually don't remember. I wonder if they have cards just like you're, you were an adequate father who provided f- for me. <laughs> <laughs> they have those really heavy sarcasm cards. Yeah, I know. You but know the ones I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, Bob, next question. Sure. What is personal growth for you just that's the question great um paying closer attention to how i feel and what i want okay what does that mean tell us more well paying closer attention to how i feel is very difficult um often often um not so apparent to me how i'm feeling um and fast really fast um and then also what i want like actually paying attention to 
what I want from, say, other people or for myself, um, that's that's um, not apparent to me a lot of the time. Um, so, so I'd say my personal growth for the last several years has been aimed at becoming more familiar with those two things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's higher well-being for myself, which is, of course, maybe a cop-out in the way I'm answering the question. Mm. Personal growth. My personal growth is personally growing. But really, when I think about it, it's so that my well-being is um, optimized and other people's well-being that that I affect Mm -hmm. are optimized. I'm not going to say that it's easy, you Mm -hmm. know, to navigate because there's just so much stress in life and opportunities for misunderstanding and personality clashes, you know. Sometimes. And uh, so on a micro level or a more short-term level, I think it's, for me, it's a matter of um, having more charitable viewpoints of people that I'm in conflict with. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And I feel like I've come a long way in the last, I don't know, 20 years or something. I think that when I look back, it's hard to know. It's hard to know what we were before, but I feel like back then I was more sure in my negative interpretation of what was happening. And now I find myself thanking the stars when I manage to say, Kirk, you're probably misinterpreting and, or you're overreacting and you just need to like give it a, give it a day or something. Just, mm-hmm. just relax. Mm-hmm. Just don't, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> like the world isn't coming to an end. This isn't an emergency. It feels bad, but just let it be. And when I do that the next day, I'm like, Oh yeah, I was, I was tired or stressed or whatever. I was in a bad mood and mm-hmm. thank God I didn't do anything during that state because if I did, it would have been self-destructive and um, I feel like uh, that's a lot of growth for me. Indeed. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. All right. Let's take a break and we get back. More questions. What do you say, Bob? More questions. All right. We're back from the break. Next question, Bob, which is, mm-hmm. what was your first impression of each other? What was your first impression of me, Bob? Oh, the very first thing you said in ProSem was... So this is uh, f- probably... First day of graduate school, was. and there's there's six students or so, seven students maybe, and one professor, and we're sitting in a circle, no mm-hmm. no table, nope. just sitting in a circle, very mid-90s Antioch style, and what did I say? You said your name, um, and I think I remember having the thought, oh, just like Captain Kirk, and then you said, I'm in a band like everybody else in Seattle, and I felt like... I'm I'm not in a band. <laughs> You're a musician. You're you know you play piano. No, no, I did. Oh yeah, I guess I did play piano whenever I started graduate school, but not not like just just tinkering, just just playing. Um, um, 
I now I there's no specific memory, but I remember I liked you and I thought you were cool, and we were supposed to go out after um, class one night with Laura and Nanette, mm-hmm. our friends, and um, go over to the sit and spin. Remember the did, sit and spin? Did you see that I posted that picture of you and me on Facebook and Laura liked it? No, I didn't see that. Yeah. Oh, you know, she doesn't live here anymore. Yeah. Arizona, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Um, um, and then they bagged out. So it was just the two of us Oh. Um, hanging out at the sit and spin which was like a pub that had a laundry in it. Right. Yeah. You think that was, um, well, it was a laundry mat and then the back was a pub yeah. with a stage actually. Yeah, that's right. Bands. That's right. But, uh, so you think in this like midway through the quarter or early in the quarter? Yeah. Midway, midway, first quarter for sure. Yeah. Um, several weeks in. Yeah. what do you think of me when we went out socially? I just, Oh, oh, the other thing I remember is you said that you cut your own hair <laughs> and you had a buzz cut back then. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's, that's hard to do. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was also very brave because um, uh, something about cutting my own hair used to Well, you know, it was a money thing. I, yeah. Spending 15 bucks on a haircut oh. was, that was a tough yeah. thing, especially when you're cutting your hair like once a month. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I yeah, I'd buzzed it and then I didn't cut it at all. Mm-hmm throughout graduate school and yeah. by the time i was done with graduate school i had right. very very long very hair. long hair yeah yeah interesting well my first impression of you was that you were a better therapist than me i mean of course i wasn't a therapist yet but you just knew more i just remember looking up to you and mm. thinking that you were smart and knew things like it's just, it's interesting to think back to just how ignorant I was on all fronts. And because, you know, how would I know any of this stuff? Right. Ideas of even like, what is schizophrenia? Right. I, I mean, of course, in that first couple quarters, I hadn't taken psychopathology yet. So I didn't know what schizophrenia no. was. I hadn't heard of personality disorders right. before. Right. I, I didn't know what, you know, social phobia was, or, you know, I'd heard of shyness before. So I I just, there wasn't the internet back then. So I just said, I just, you just have no exposure to anything. Right. And I've talked about this before, how in the first quarter we went over empathy as a part of being a good therapist. And I'd never heard or, or barely had ever heard of the term empathy and especially the, the notions involved in empathy. I remember just being completely mind blown by that. And it's just funny to think that I was once like that, you know, 24 and just completely ignorant. And so anyway, you were, uh, I looked up to you, I remember. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also that I've always, you know, for maybe sexist reasons or ageist reasons, who knows, but I've always, whenever I meet another guy who is around my age, regardless of their sexual orientation or, you know, cis, trans, I feel like I can bond with them. In fact, trans men as well, I'll I'll feel that way when I think back. There's just something about dudes that I just feel like I'm, I can get along with more easily. And I find that to actually be true. Dudes my age, Mm -hmm. you know, and in that class, you were the only dude who was my age. The others were 
older Gary. Remember Gary? Gary older, and then the other guy who got kicked out. Yeah. He was he was older. He was older. And then there were three women. There was Laura, Nanette, and that other woman. I can't remember her name. April. April. Oh, April. Yeah. Oh. And wow. so, uh, uh, yeah. So I, I, I'm pretty sure I remember thinking, oh, that guy, we'll get along, hopefully, because I, I feel comfortable with him. <laughs> um. Another question: If you and Bob didn't become therapists, what career do you think you would be doing today? CPA. Accountant. Yep. Why? I don't know. <laughs> was your dad a CPA? My dad was a CPA. And actually, um, that was one thing. My dad, uh, he owned his own practice, and I ran my own practice. And he gave me accounting advice and helped me kind of learn that stuff. Um, and it was the one thing that we could actually easily relate to. We had interesting conversations that had a lot of um, reciprocity. Um because we talk about being business owners and also being, um, you know, taxes and accounting or whatever. And I always like that. And also, you know, I guess I'm kind of a nerd that way. Um, you like looking at figures and graphs yeah, and Excel spreadsheets. That, that stuff, right. And I like doing taxes, uh, the tax return. So Colleen calls it porn. Bob, you're looking at porn again, aren't you? No, Your math stuff. The, the math. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Then why did you become a therapist? Oh, I think I'm much better suited to being a therapist than I am to being an accountant. How did you know back then? I didn't. Um, interest in therapy back then was interest in self. And, um, I mean, I heard that, that uh, who's that, David, David, uh, I can never remember that, David Whalen, David Whalen. He gives a talk. He's like, well, I learned all my clinical skills when I was six, right, at the knee of my mom. I think I was always... Uh, the things I learned growing up make me well suited. Yeah, yeah. And then you went to therapy. Oh yeah. And then you're like, oh, maybe I should do this because that's, that's a very, right. very common kind of scenario. My very first session, that was the thought I had during the meeting was, oh, I, maybe I could do this. Yeah. That with this, that was uh, Paula Ann Pricken. I really liked her. Well, so you say CPA, and you're like, I don't know, because I just would have fallen into it. Is that as part of that because of the way you were treated and thus not really focused on what you want and what you need? That's fascinating. Possible. Because the way you answer is just like, I don't know, I think CPA, because that's kind of the direction I was headed and that's what my dad did. And then I say, well, why? And you're like, I don't know. I, I think that's what I, the, the impression I get from you is like, I didn't know what I wanted and had no way of accessing that and would have just fallen into any old career because... I, I wouldn't know how to even answer that question of what I want. I feel really lucky. Really. I've had, so, like we were talking about career defining moments. I've had many of those. I feel really very, very lucky to have landed where I have. What was the luck? What were the, some of it's right were, place, right time. Like, what do you mean? Um, I got hired at in Linehan's clinic, which was, um, but that was after you graduated. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but what about early, like like where? Because by the time you graduated, or by the time you're in graduate school, okay. like it's kind of a done deal. But like, what right. would have happened before that that would have caused? I mean, you mentioned some of the things, like you were living with your brother, right? Um, you got rejected from San Francisco. Yep. You, you come to Antioch. Antioch. Uh, but were there other kind of 
serendipitous moments that pushed you in the direction? Personal counseling, I think, a lot of that. And I love my therapist. She was really very kind to me and really good therapist. Um, was anyone pressuring you to do something else? No, no, they would never would. They would or, never or say, even suggesting. Nope. No, nobody ever, nobody would ever get in my, no, they just let me be. But I got a job out of, out of college. I got a job at a runaway shelter. Well, runaway shelter is kind of weird to think about in central Pennsylvania. It's called farms, um, um, farmland. But I got a job at a psychiatric hospital. I felt really lucky to get that job. And I found out later that the clinical director um, did not like to hire men. Um, and she hired me. And so I was really, I felt very lucky to work there. That was a pretty, that was a really good experience. One of the few that you could get with a bachelor's degree that had anything, any kind of clinical exposure. I mean, obviously you were attracted to psychology because yeah. of these these jobs that you yeah. took voluntarily. Right. <laughs> like regardless of your interest in eventually becoming a counselor, you were obviously interested in working with these sorts of folks. Right. Yeah. You know? But if I hadn't gotten hired there, I don't know what would have happened. If I hadn't, and at the runaway shelter, I remember the interview. I sat there bawling through half of it. And um, I'm not sure I would have hired me. But they said, what well, we did this role play where these parents storm in and they try to take this kid. And I just stood in the way. I didn't get aggressive. I just stood in the way. And they said, yeah, okay, we'll take him. That and you started crying? Not during that particular. What was the other part you were crying? My boss asked me. Um, Why do you want to work in this field? Or something? Uh, let's see. What was the question? Um, oh, they said, describe yourself and give three words to describe yourself. And I said, something, something and searching. And he said, what are you searching for? And I said, self-esteem. And then I just started crying. Are you still searching? Oh, yeah, but not like then. Um, and he stopped the interview and he took me out back. And he said, look, it's fine. All I need to know is that you can, you know, stay composed while you're working here. Yeah. But the rest of it's fine. Don't worry about it. I mean, as a tactic, he'd be a complete dick to not hire you at that point. So you, you worked him. Well, it, there, there's no intention of working anybody. <laughs> um, it's not like I can Meryl Streep it, you know, like. <laughs> uh that was yeah. a pretty cool place. They were. Like it's interesting a, to hear that because you were real and authentic and good with your emotions back then. Uh, a, yeah, I suppose so. Mid twenties. Yeah, of, I don't hide much. Even back then. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that was a good place to work. They were like a family to me. Wow, those folks. At least for a while. And teens would, they'd. They'd run away, and then they'd be placed in this home? They'd come there. They'd come there. And then we'd have to get permission from parents, otherwise it's kidnapping. But if parents gave permission, the kids could stay, you know, a week. Wow. And there was an attempt to, you know, reconcile with family, of course. And Seattle doesn't have, or didn't back when I worked with those folks. I don't, I, I don't know if it has anything now, does it? No, it didn't have anything back then. Maybe it does now, but it yeah. didn't have anything back then. Well, I went and visited last time I was in that part of the country and uh, central Pennsylvania, and um, it's not that anymore. It's uh, it's residential, like a group home for uh, uh, teen girls. Who paid for it? Was it like United Way or something? Um, 
Because the parents yeah. aren't going to pay for no, it. No, it was almost all United Way money. Yeah. Um, the agency, what the hell? I don't remember what it was called, but this was one of their programs. They had several programs. Hmm. Um, Boys and Girls Clubs, they had those uh, various little towns, various little towns. Well, for me, I don't know what I would have been, but I yeah. was working in market research and had, saw my, and I kind of fell into, I mean, I went to I went to college uh, as an engineer because my dad wanted me to be, be an engineer, and it was actually my strong suit: physics and math and chemistry. Mm-hmm. And, Good at that. And I, it was the one four zero that I got. You know, quarter term wise uh, was my pre engineering quarter. <laughs> I, I four zero it uh, the rest of the time. That didn't, well, partially because I also said I want to have fun in college. I don't want to study the whole time, but. I'm I'm sort of mentally made for engineering, <laughs> or at least back then. And but I I heard from engineers about what their life was like, what their job was like, and the way they described it. You know, it was a lot of sitting at a desk and you know doing all these kinds of things, just computer stuff essentially. And I thought, oh, that does not sound mm-hmm. fun. You know, uh, and I and I was I'm quite sure I was right. It, when you think about the fun aspects of chemistry and math and physics. It's about experimentation and about like learning new things. I get the impression a lot of engineers, it's, it's the same kinds of stuff unless you work in a R and D department. You're, you're doing pretty, uh, you know, regular routine kinds of documentation or checking of certain figures Mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. So I, I think wisely for my makeup immediately decided I'm not going to be an engineer and didn't know what to do. So I got a business degree. What kind of engineering would you have? Uh, well, my dad really wanted me to work at Boeing like the rest of my family. <laughs> so probably aeronautical engineering. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think they have electrical engineers too. I, I think oh, I was, sure. att- I think I was attracted to electrical engineering. Todd's a mechanical engineer. Right. Yeah. So yeah, maybe mechanical. Anyway, yeah. I don't know, but but I decided to get a business degree because my sister was had a business degree from mm-hmm. UW, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, business supply. And I think I'd talked to my family about this, and basically just determined that business degree can apply to a lot of things. Yeah, but I was extremely ambivalent about the whole affair. In fact, halfway through my second year, I was like really close to dropping out because I thought why am I in school? Like, I don't know what career I want. Yeah. I hate school. I don't want to be here. Um, I just want to party <laughs> and like do other things. I want to do music. I, why am I wasting my time? I mean, I was this close to dropping out, but I stuck, I stuck it out. And in my business degree times, I took accounting and marketing and advertising and uh, business writing and, uh, finance and economics, and I I liked a lot of the econ math stuff. I didn't like um, certain. I didn't like account. Although I kind of liked accounting, but I didn't like accounting. I kind of liked it, but I was also like, oh, this doesn't sound very fun. Um, but the advertising and marketing, I liked. I, I liked that aspect. It felt creative. It felt psychology related. It felt human related. Right. And it just seemed like there was so many case by case bases, right? Like, 
how do you market Starbucks? How do you market McDonald's? How do you market a small business? Oh, I could see that being interesting, yeah. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And although I would say the amount of classes I took were pretty minimal, <laughs> you know, some people think, oh, well, you have a business degree that probably helped you in building your your business. And I'll say, well, maybe, maybe sort of planted a couple seeds, but um, I, it was extremely, you know, it's a bachelor's level degree, so yeah. there's not a lot of depth. It's a general, yeah. Yeah. But, and then after I graduated, I just started applying to anything that would take me because, and I'd really shot myself in the foot by not thinking about my career during my bachelor's. I just, I just went to school. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about internships. Right. I didn't think about networking. I yeah. didn't think about what kind of field I wanted to get into. Right. And I just had this notion that like, I'd get a bachelor's degree and I'd just earn money. And I remember thinking, uh, someone told me like an average bachelor's degree uh, salary, this would have been 90, early 90s, was like $35,000. And I remember thinking, $35,000? I could live, I would never need to earn more than 30. Like I, I'm, I'm living off of, I was, I think I was living off of like $10,000 a, a year back then. Yep. And, and feeling okay about mm-hmm. life, you know, not, Mm-hmm. Not really living high on the hog, but you know it was okay. Yeah, and I thought thirty five grand. I mean, what more would you need? Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, uh, in today's dollars, that'd be I don't know, like fifty grand or something, right? Yeah, forty five. And so I graduated and I started applying, and immediately realized that like people didn't want me. I I thought you just had a degree and you just got a job, but. I was having a really hard time finding a job when I graduated. Yeah. To the point where I ended up getting a job as a dishwasher at a Godfather's pizza. Wow. After I had my bachelor's degree in business from one of the most acclaimed business schools in the world, which is the Foster School of Business. Where where, where was the Godfather's? Uh, Ballard. It's not there anymore. There's like, um, I think a mod pizza there now or yeah. the, uh, anyway, but it said drivers wanted. I had five dollars in my pocket, and I had uh, I had like a quarter of a tank of gas. And you know, back then when you applied to jobs, you looked in the newspaper. Right. There was no online, so no. so you just looked in the in the wanted ads. Wanted ads. And I would send, and you send resumes. Mm-hmm. And so I'd send resumes to all these places, and like no one was hiring. Um, I got a job as a at a Foot Locker as a shoe salesperson. Really, I did which, that too w- at, at Westlake at Foot Locker. No, no. Oh, back back east, Burham. Yeah, the, I didn't know you sold shoes. Hated it. I mean, it was fine as a job, but yeah. the manager was a complete mm-hmm. tool, mm-hmm. and uh, was massive commissions. I think I ended up earning like two bucks an hour or something because it was like mostly commissions. Oh. I, I had a job as an ice cream man. Oh, I knew that. You still have your change maker. I don't. I you thought don't about. Have it? I thought about that the other day. Where is it? Oh, I. I don't know. I gave it away or something. Wow. Yeah. Well, now I got to get you one. Yeah. Uh, and then I. I also got a job as a as a researcher actually through University of Washington School of Social Work. I was interviewing parents because they were going through this program through their schools in Edmonds and stuff. And anyway, but it was real part time. Wow. And, uh, and it was okay, but it was very part-time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I get this job. So I'm driving around Ballard. I'm like, just, I remember it's dreary day, and I'm just looking for a job. It would have been, I don't know, fall, I'm guessing. And 
says drivers wanted and i'm like okay screw it i guess i'm applying to godfather's pizza with a bachelor's degree in business and i pull in they hire me but then they it was a bait and switch then i'm in then i'm um uh, making pizzas and being a dishwasher because they pull people in on the driver's thing and it's then the, well, we don't have any driver shifts, but we do have a dishwasher shift right. and I'm like, fuck it. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. And then, uh, later on I started demanding driver jobs and I, I would actually drive and that, that was okay. And you got tips and stuff, but uh-huh. again, I'm just like, really? And then I talked to my grandfather who was a very successful contractor in Spokane and he started from the very bottom. He was, um, essentially an orphan when he was a kid and worked his way up from very low on the construction, um, you know. Yeah. This your your dad's ladder. dad or your mom's My dad? My mom's dad. Yeah. And I was talking with him and he said, because I was frustrated, I was like, I thought I'd be qualified for something. And he's like, well, Kirk, everyone starts at the bottom. When I started out, I was the cement mixer, meaning that I was the lowest person on the, totem pole or mm-hmm. on the ladder of um hierarchy at on the on the construction site and i and then and i knew what he became because by the time i was born he was already a very very successful contractor in, wow. in spokane to the point when they built the world's fair in 74 ish they he was like one of the main contractors for the world's fair for the world's fair yeah that's amazing yeah wow yeah yeah, he was, you know, man of the year in Spokane that you know, they have their version of man of the year mm-hmm. and he was man of the year. And anyway, so I was like, you were a cement mixer at the beginning. Oh, uh, interesting. And that really changed my perspective. And that's when I was like, okay, like, all right, that's fine. You know what? Yeah. Start at the bottom and work your way up. And then... um I started playing more places and I, I got a job at Evergreen Hospital in Totem Lake in Kirkland and uh, and it was $13 an hour and I just thought, oh my God, this is so much money. 13 bucks an hour? Yeah. Holy cow. When, when the minimum wage was probably six bucks an hour. Yeah, exactly. Seven. And I was rich beyond measure with me wow. and my friends. Yeah, I pay. I remember I would I would get two paychecks a month and the uh-huh. first paycheck I would pay for all of my expenses, rent and everything else. And then I had another paycheck of $800 that I could spend on whatever I wanted to. Amazing. And every month I bought something else. I bought an amp, and then I bought a guitar, and then I bought another guitar or something. Anyway. Um, That's cool. And so I was a market research assistant. I w- there was a market research department at the hospital. There was? Mm-hmm. To not only patients but also to doctors because doctors choose back then anyway where they what hospital they used and a big part of it was OBGYNs would choose the maternity ward of the hospital so you know you go to the doctor and the doctor says oh I I use this hospital so a lot of our marketing was to the doctors but we needed to make the patients like the situation like the hospital and and North uh, Evergreen Hospital still has one of the most like preeminent um, uh, maternity uh, situations, like very comfortable. They make they make it seem like a home. Oh, it doesn't nice. look it doesn't look like a hospital right. bed and that kind of thing. But anyway, so I worked for her, and then they laid off a bunch of people at the, at the hospital and laid me off, which made total sense to me because I played Civilization on the computer half the, half the day. I played a video game half because there wasn't anything to do. Was that like Risk? Yeah. Yeah. And and also I would show up late and 
uh, like at 11. My boss would leave at 2 because she, she came in really early. And then I would leave at like 2.30. <laughs> so I wouldn't even work eight hours a day because there just wasn't much to do, you yeah. know. That, that like, and so I got laid off and I'm like, well, that makes sense. And so now I'm like, okay, what do I do? And so she, and so she felt bad that oh. she, that she, that they laid me off and she knew this market research firm. So I fell into that. So kind of similar to you of like, when I look back, I didn't really have, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I wanted. And I was just kind of following my nose. Like if the school of social work had hired me full time as a, as a researcher, I'd probably have fallen into that. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of weird. Like uh-huh. what, or if Godfathers had moved me up to regional manager, or is there some kind of pathway that I saw there, I'd probably be working for Godfather's Pizza. You know, it, you just don't know what yeah, no. I was just, I just wanted to do anything that would earn enough money so I could pay my bills and occasionally buy a six pack of beer and also had a path forward and something I would like. Anyway, this is a long answer to the question, but. Wow. Um, I didn't know this stuff about you. Yeah. So then I work at this market research firm and I, I'm earning less money, like $11 an hour, mm-hmm. but I'm, it, but it's much more prestigious. I have my own office. I am in charge of, of whole projects. Like Microsoft would hire us to do research projects for, I remember Windows 95. I did a whole thing for them for that and other kinds of businesses. Like there was this. Um, virtual reality company in Kirkland that was hiring us to do research. And so I did focus groups, you know, we'd have people come in, they'd try on the the glasses and I'd ask them a bunch of questions while the clients are behind the, the one-way mirror. And I liked that job. It was fun. You know, it felt, it felt interesting. There's mm-hmm. there creativity. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to do the grunt work. We had like, you know, line people that would do all the data gathering. Mm-hmm. I, and I could, it, that's kind of my porn is like writing reports and and like compiling and analyzing data and and then reporting it back and I'd also have to budget everything out which is kind of interesting mm-hmm. and it was fun because I got exposed to a lot of cutting edge technology oh right things that other people like the internet for I did a focus group on the internet before I even knew what the internet was wow it was for espn.com like very early on and we had people come in and you know, try out ESPN.com. And I asked them a bunch of questions. And I remember when I, before the participants came, I sat down in front of the computer and I, and the guy, the ESPN.com guy is there and he's like, yeah, this is the internet. And I'm like, huh. And I remember clicking around. I'm like, oh, this is cool. You can, you can click on a baseball player's name and it pulls up this page. And then it, it, there's all these other hyperlinks that you can click on and it's boom, 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 all over the place. And I was just like, this is pretty cool. You know, this is, this is, this is pretty rad. Anyway. Uh, so I liked it and found my, and then I, I, there was a small enough market research company that I could sort of see my path forward where I could see like, I'm a project manager now. Then at some point, maybe a few years, I'll become an associate to the partners. And then maybe 10 years down the line, I'll own my own market research business, or I'll be a partner in this business where, you know, then you're, then you're making presumably, you know, sort of adult money, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I could see that path before me, and I liked the people I worked with, and and it felt kind of cool to dress up in a suit and <laughs> go to go to work and all that kind of stuff. How and old were you? I was 23, 24. So this is pretty much right out of school. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, when I talk about the meandering times, it was it was like nine months, but it was a pretty bad nine months. You know what I mean? It was pretty, or maybe six months. We finished school, and then you meandered, right? Yeah, Yeah. my grand, my rich grandparents gave me a thousand dollar check for graduating with my bachelor's degree, and that was all the money I had, and I. I, I strung that money out over like four months, right. you know, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and when I ran out of that money, that's when I had that $5 in my pocket and ended up going into Godfather's Pizza. But anyway, um, oh, I also worked for an escrow company as a delivery boy. <laughs> yeah, what did you deliver? Oh, paper, people's paper. Titles and yeah, yeah. all that crap. Yeah. And uh, so that was around that time too, wow. but... But anyway, so yeah, I, I I could see myself becoming a market researcher, and I I could see the path before me. I and I saw kind of other branches, like I could maybe eventually work for Microsoft, you know, because I was working closely with Microsoft sure. and other kinds of Adobe mm-hmm. and other kinds of tech that were going on at the time, and and kind of liked it. It wasn't. It wasn't terrible. You know, I, I didn't dread going to work. I didn't like the eight to five thing, though. My God, that was the. It's so funny being a night owl, just how crushing it was to work from eight to five. I mean, honestly, that was the big. That was. If, if, if that job, if that market research job, no joke, was 11 to seven or 11 to eight or something, I probably would still be in that, that job. It was because I had to wake up at 6 30 in the morning and then battle traffic to get to the east side. Yeah. And, you know, walk into the office at 8.02 mm. and and then battle traffic on the way back. I mean, it was soul crushing, yeah. the, the traffic and the, the early hours. Mm. I could not. I'm such a night owl that. Are you a night owl? Um, yes. Yeah. So I'm in traffic and I'm on my way home from my market research job and I'm wearing my, you know, my one of the two suits that I owned that my parents bought for me probably for like a job interview when I was 18. And, and I, I remember, I'll never forget. I was, I could see my, you know, completely stop traffic, just parking lot on five twenty, and I could just see my life, uh, mapped out. And I, and I imagined myself being on my deathbed in my eighties or something and looking back and seeing what I could see into the future. I could see into the future and I was looking into the future and looking back on what I could see into the future and I didn't like it. I thought it'd be okay. It wouldn't be the end of the world, but that's not what I want to do with all that time. And then I just started thinking, well, what else is there? And I thought, well, teacher, you know, it's human contact, you know, really trying to affect people's lives. I thought about teaching. And then I thought about wrangling kids and I thought, oh no, 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 no. What's wrangling kids? Oh, uh, if you're a teacher, you have to wrangle. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about being a professor because I didn't think that I would ever qualify for that. But being like a high school teacher or something, I thought about being a music teacher. Mm-hmm. That's what I would want to do. But I thought, well, I don't know if that would be what I want. Too much human, there, there's too much human stuff. Like too much, too, too much wrangling because anyway. And then I actually thought about becoming a minister. Minister? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it can involve like the meaning of life and yeah. human contact. Yeah, yeah. And, but I, at the time I, I had already started losing my religiousness 
And of course, you have to give sermons, which are terrifying to me. Mm, right, right. And I and I immediately, oh, I, I can't, I can't, I can't give speeches to hundreds of people on the pew, <laughs> on the uh, on the podium. There's an irony in that sentence. I know. I I was like, I, I'm too stay. I too have too much stage fright to do that. And then, for the very first time in my life, therapist popped in my head. And that's I remember where where we're sitting, like right off of the Bellevue. Is it Bellevue Way? Anyway, I can't remember the exact. It's right off from 405. popped in my head and I thought, huh. Oh, I know where that is. And it just really um, pulled a lot of things together. I was like, okay, interesting. So you got to have human contact. You get a, it's meaningful. It's purposeful. It has purpose to it. It has a lot of meaning to me. I don't have to wake up in the morning because I accurately predicted that I could set my own hours eventually. Uh, it has a lot of variability to it because obviously every client's different. It's psychologically minded, and I and, and then I started and for the first time in my life I'm like, huh, I've always been super psychologically minded. I mean, going back to when I was in high school, me and my best friend Lita, Lita, whom yeah. you've met, would sit up all night uh, talking about psychology stuff. We wouldn't have framed it that way, but we would talk about the meaning of life and mm-hmm. like what makes people tick and emotions. And, and I, and then there were, there were other aspects too of my life where I thought, huh, like, like when I did a, uh, I took a minor in music in, in my bachelor's and mm-hmm. I took a class called psychology and music. Why, why did I do that? You know, because, I, I guess I'm, I've always been attracted. Okay. I, I, I decided to do marketing, which is the psychology of business. Uh-huh. And it just hit me like a lightning bolt. I was like, yes, this is the job. This is what I need to do. And never had I thought about it before. That's amazing. But I, but as I do with things like this, I completely obsessed like for, you know, days, like for five days or something. And by the end of those five days, I had already figured out where I was going to apply at Antioch and I had my whole life planned out and it felt good that I was like, my time was limited at the market research firm because of yeah. the eight to five. I mean, yeah. that the eight to five thing was, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. big motivator. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and by that, so that would have been like February or something, March, and then by that October, we were in graduate school together. You took all the prereqs then over those six months? Right. So I took the prereqs over the summer. One was at Bellevue Community College. The other uh-huh. one was online. Uh-huh. And then I also volunteered at Iwasil um, Group Home for, it was in Ballard, and it was for kids, troubled kids. And I, I remember that. Yeah, I volunteered there as a you know counselor. You did that? Um, even into the beginning of school for a while? No. Then I worked at a different group home in oh, school. Okay. Yeah. Because I was volunteering right. at that place. And, yeah, I mean, it just hit me like a lightning bolt. And it's so bizarre that it was correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And that I, and again, pre-internet, how did I find out even where to apply? That's a pivotal moment just there. How would I know? I don't, I, to this day, I don't know how I figured it out. How would uh-huh. I have known? Like, what, is it phone book? I mean, no. How right? did you know? I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how I would have known where to apply. 
Because again, w- without the internet, where you do you did, go? You didn't ask anybody. You I must have asked somebody. You must have. But there's not that many in Seattle to pick from, so there's that. But you'd have to know someone to yeah, there's ask. Not, yeah, there's not a newspaper that says here are the counseling programs. No. But yeah, I, I and and I had I remember whoever told me had recommended Antioch only. You know, they said there are other schools, but really you got to go to Antioch. Mm. So if they would have said there are other schools, but you really got to go to Seattle, U. like I would have gone to Seattle, you, U, gone to Seattle U. you know, because they were all generally the same price and the right. same kind of time span. Um, but yeah, it's really kind of, um, I don't know the word, but serendipitous. Yeah. But just uh, fortuitous that it occurred to me and that it was correct. Yeah. Cause what it was moment. so correct. Like I, I, I was thinking of all these careers and then therapists just popped into my head and I, and it just was like, yes, yeah. this is it. This is it. Wow. And how did I know? You know, I, I'd only been to therapy once before, maybe, like, maybe kind of twice. Like one session? You mean? No, I'd had maybe 10 sessions with oh. my therapist when I was 19. And then I, I think I went a couple times uh, to another therapist very briefly that's that's a rather small bit of experience. Yeah, and none of my friends were into psychology. Uh, no one in my family. Like, yeah, right. I had no experience. I I just had this vision in my head that it would work for me. That's amazing, and it has. Yeah, in, in so many ways, right? You know, and just how how random, you know, but, something. Yeah, inspiration. Anyway, well, that's my long story that I've told before, and I'm sorry for boring some of you out there, (laughs) including you, Bob. Oh, no, I like this story. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it.